I'm Georgie Barrett. And I'm Alex Goldstein. And welcome to the Sleep Life podcast, the show from Simba designed to help you unlock your sleeping potential. Whether you have trouble getting your head down or you're interested in boosting your performance, this podcast is all about realising that sleep is the very foundation of everything you do whilst you're awake. Now, in each episode, we're taking a look at a different area of our lives where sleep can really affect us. So, Alex, what are we honing in on today? So today, it's all about the the world of sport. Right. Um, So sport and sleep, there's obviously a really interesting fit there in terms of physical fitness and optimising performance and things like that. Obviously, recovery is a huge priority in sport and there are high stakes involved. So there's a lot of really interesting research happening. It's being taken incredibly seriously. So that's really exciting for people like us. And I feel like you don't really need to be a sports person to take some of that advice on board. Like some of it can translate to real life, even if we're not kind of having everything planned out quite so neatly. Yeah. And I guess the sport is where they're sort of doing most of the research. Is that correct? Are they sort of at the forefront of this? Yeah. So we've looked at some of the news stories recently. So like the Olympic cycling team were talking about something called their marginal gains strategy, where they were looking at tiny little incremental things, which might built up, have like a very tiny increase in performance, but a tiny increase in performance can make a massive difference on the day. So it was things like, you know, washing hands more thoroughly to not get ill as often, all the way through to making sure you take the same pillow with you everywhere you travel, just so that you are uniformly comfortable. That is my travel trick, actually. I always pack my pillow. Definitely. It takes up quite a lot of room in my hand luggage, but I get over that bit. Um, Are there any other news stories that have piqued your interest? Yeah. We've also been chatting to British Rowing about their plans for sleep. They've been doing a bit of a sleep survey sleep attitude survey because they've got some very early starts built into that particular sport so that and a lot of team bonding because you've all got to kind of be focused on the same thing at the same time yeah so there were some interesting impacts there and also they're traveling to, to Tokyo in a couple of years and kind of wanted to think ahead about the travel piece as well so let's bring in our two wonderful guests who are sat with us in the studio from Premiership Rugby we have Saracen Centre and England International Alex Lazowski. Hello, Alex. Hiya. How are you? I'm all good, thanks. Did you sleep well last night? I did, yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, very good. Brilliant. And we also have Saracen sports scientist Tom Sheriff. Tom, welcome to the show. Now, Tom, you started tracking the sleep patterns of the Saracens team for the first time this year. I want to ask you, what made you do that? Because was it something that you weren't really thinking about before? Previously, we were looking at sleep as something that was just would happen naturally and we'd reel off information like sleep hygiene literature you know how you do it and then just take it as as read that that's what they'd get on with having read uh why we sleep over summer um, yes by matthew walker you know it kind of kicked me into realizing people aren't very good at actually reporting their own sleep and stuff like that so the only way we could really get into it was to start tracking their sleep and you know some guys might be very good at going oh yeah and i've had a terrible night's sleep or i've had a good night's sleep but we actually really didn't know, um, and that would give us, you know, the option to then start these conversations. So you wanted to go a little bit deeper. So you literally have put sleep trackers on the team. Yeah, so not all the guys wear them. We kind of gave them the option to start using it because it's quite intrusive. It's the first thing we'd started monitoring outside of the, the training ground. Uh, so we sort of let them come to us. We, we ex- explained why we want to do it. It's not to sort of catch them out for staying out too late or staying on the PlayStation, so uh, I'd say... <laughs> Alex is giving a little <laughs> smile there. <laughs> yeah, I know some of the boys spend a lot of time on the PlayStation, yeah. <laughs> um, so about half the squad have at least tried them, and we can just kind of get an idea of um, who's good at sleep, who's bad, who's quite inconsistent, who's more affected by matches or, or training, uh, how long does it take to recover from a match in terms of your sleep. I mean, the boys pump a lot of caffeine into themselves on, on match day. 
you know, how much of an effect is that having? Right. And Alex, you, you went, you opted for the sleep tra- uh, tracker, is that right? Yeah, so I've done like a course of two or three weeks where I wore a sleep tracker and once that information came back and all the data came back, I sort of had a bit of an idea of what I was doing and what I needed to do better. What, and then, what, what insights did you get? Sort of deep sleep, uh, how many hours of deep sleep I was getting. Um, I was basically told to go to bed a bit earlier. Um, <laughs> well, so, yeah. so what, is, is there an optimum time? I mean, I'll ask you, Alex. This sort of standard advice is always eight hours. And I think that the kind of window of, kind of sleep opportunity should be somewhere between seven and nine hours. And people will, will vary within that. I mean, naturally, we'd probably fall into a pattern that's somewhere between sort of 10 p.m., 6 a.m. But people have real lives. And as long as they can find a kind of pattern within that where they're getting quality sleep, I think that's probably the most important bit. And, and Alex, what, so what was your sort of average bedtime and, and have you made that earlier? Yeah, so I think I was getting to sleep about 11 o'clock and then waking up about seven, half seven. And now I've tried to get into bed at about 10 o'clock. And to be fair, we don't actually start training sometimes until 10 in the morning um, at the club. So I can sometimes sleep until eight. So I'm, I'm getting some good hours in, but I think for me it was more just about making sure that I was getting to sleep earlier and yeah. not up all night. But yeah, I think it also meant that I was taking less naps in the day as well. So before I'd often get in from training and be exhausted and... I want to sleep for an hour on the sofa. And then sometimes that would mean that I couldn't get to sleep until later at night. Um, Okay. So So that's probably when napping isn't as good. Uh, Have you got any sort of tips for napping? Is napping a thing that people should be doing? Yeah, I mean, I'm quite happy for players to take naps sort of early afternoon. There's, It just doesn't often fit in with our training schedule and when we have lunch, when we have our meetings, when we have training. So that's unfortunate. And then we wouldn't probably want them napping once they get home, if that's going to affect their, their evening sleep, we'd rather prioritise a good sort of block of sleep. If you're fortunate enough to be able to nap and then sleep without any sort of problem from it, you know, I'd definitely suggest it. And is, is there a sort of optimum amount of time that you should be napping for? Because I'm always told, like, anything longer than maybe a half an hour or something, then you sort of go into a sleep cycle. Is that right? Yeah, so um, the napping kind of jury still seems to be out. Like some experts seem to fall very much in the category of, yep, yeah, naps are great as long as you do them before like 2pm. Okay. Uh, some seem to suggest that either you do the 20 minutes or you go for a full sleep cycle, which is about 90 minutes. Uh, okay, 20 or in 90. between is a problem. <laughs> yeah, and what, what were you doing, Alex? Were you sort of doing longer naps? Yeah, so when I was not really taking much notice of my sleep and really caring about it I could do sort of two hours um, <laughs> you basically easy, just have a little yeah, mini sleep in easily, the day. yeah I could easily do two hours if I was really tired after training and then once I sort of knew more about it and had some feedback from wearing my wristband and stuff I tried to cut it down to about 45 minutes okay um, and sometimes sort of cut it out completely if I could so Tom tell us a bit about what you're monitoring and what you're discovering from using these sleep trackers so essentially they're activity trackers. Some of the guys wear them throughout the day, so that's really helpful for us because we, we can then pick up information on the lead into sleep. So are they like very active throughout the evening? Is that impeding their ability to, to fall asleep quite quickly? Most of our guys, with a bit of sort of prompting, were definitely in bed for long enough to get the, you know, the suggested seven to nine hours, and we've always kind of aimed for eight. But the sleep quality is probably not there for a lot of the guys, so although they're in bed for that amount of time, they're waking up frequently within the night. So, you know, you can't just then go, well, get into bed an hour early and then you go to bed at nine. That's It's unrealistic. So it, it gives us a bit of um, direction mm-hmm. as, to, as to how to actually structure the conversation. So there's, you know, I think you can go into it later about nutrition and sleep, but 
certain um, food types are more related to the, the quality of sleep once you sleep. Some are more related to how quickly you fall asleep. So it gives us just direction on that conversation. So again, it's it's specific and, and targeted. And then we've got the data coming in, like, did that intervention work? How successful was it? And then we, you know, when we talk to the next guy, we can kind of give him a few more ideas on, on, on how to improve. So um, t- t- tell me a little bit about nutrition. Um, how does that affect sleep? There's some real basics around, um, you know, caffeine's probably the, the big one. Um, you know, we're lucky enough to have a, a pretty decent coffee machine at work and one of our players you know, sells, <laughs> sells coffee on the side, so it's pretty good <laughs> for him. But um, maybe players after training grabbing a Red Bull or uh, going to the coffee machine, you know, when they're in that post-training sort of slump, which will happen, especially as, you know, it's a lot dark, it's kind of dark when they're leaving the training grounds, it's the effect that it will have, like, quite a few hours later, like caffeine stays in your system for quite a while. So that's a, caffeine's like a real easy sort of nutritional one to just educate about. But then I think I think like protein in the lead up to sleep's quite good for the the quality of sleep and you know, like a high GI meal, so like uh, a carb based meal, I think within an hour before sleep's gonna be quite good for how quickly you, you, you get to sleep. But obviously if you've got uh, a body composition issue and your nutritionist is saying stay away from that and we're saying, no, no, it'd be good for sleep. You've got to weigh up the, the pros and cons. Yeah. Do, um, do you ever get that conflict, Alex, in uh, what you should be doing? Uh, not really. Luckily, I'm one of the smaller players in terms of sort of body weight and body composition, so I don't really have too many issues with what I eat and I can guess way of eating whatever I like, really. But as, as Tom says, some of the other lads who are maybe a bit bigger have to stay away from certain foods before bed. OK, <laughs> and so you haven't really adapted anything since going through this that you think, OK, I should actually not have that Red Bull or extra coffee? Um, yeah, I suppose I've cut down a little bit on my caffeine. As Tom said, we have, we do sort of have a lot of it in our system anyway. On, on like a game day, we'll consume a lot of caffeine. And, you know, after a game, I often do find it difficult to get to sleep, especially if it's been a nighttime kickoff. It's always a struggle getting to sleep, so... That's interesting. So, so actually, instead of it being before the match, it's the night after the match that you find yourself a little bit more wired and Yeah, for sure, yeah. So whether it's been a, a can of Red Bull before the game or, you know, coffee after or whatever it might have been, also with the adrenaline and yeah. everything that goes with the game, after those occasions, it can be really difficult to get to sleep. And I've been, you know, up at four in the morning just still praying trying, or trying to get to sleep, still. but it's really difficult, so... Yeah, that's certainly something that I've been thinking about trying to improve. Okay, and Alex, sort of any tips that you can think of that that could help the other Alex sort of calm down and then sort of feel a little bit more rested quicker? Yeah, I mean, the caffeine piece has obviously been spoken about a lot, a lot about cutting it out after two o'clock because it's got a half-life of about six hours. But in terms of kind of just dealing with being wired, I mean, it is tremendously difficult. And a lot of it is just in that wind-down routine that Tom was talking about earlier. It's like the couple of hours before you go to bed. We see if you've just been playing, they're going to look quite different. And just starting to adjust temperature, just slow things down. Maybe, I mean, for some people it's meditation and music or anything that kind of takes you back down to just kind of relaxing mind and body together. And when it comes to getting a good night's sleep, how have you found it affects people around you? Because Simba have been doing some research on this. Is that correct? Yeah. So we did a we did a kind of interesting piece recently with um, Dr. Vicky Culpin where we just looked actually into just interpersonal relationships and the effects of sleep deprivation. And it's just there's quite a lot of quite interesting things in there about mood, not only yours, but how it kind of affects other people around you. So it can become quite um, you can almost make somebody else 
sadder for you being sad around them. Yeah. And also, you struggle to actually read other people's expressions properly. So you struggle to be able to communicate non-verbally as well. So we're kind of wondering like the impact on team dynamics when it comes to kind of the more emotional side, which Tom mentioned earlier. Um, Alex, do you notice when your teammates haven't got enough sleep? But I, I suppose that perhaps sometimes it may, maybe makes me feel a bit more tired. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So if um, there's been times before when I remember my teammate is just sort of sleeping in the, in the in the car seat next to me, and then yeah, I'm not getting not, yeah, I'm not getting much from him. Yeah, so exactly. I'm, um, you're not bouncing off yeah, him. You're, exactly. not, you're not so raring I, to go by the time yeah. he gets training. And then obviously I'm sort of sat there, you know, going a bit tired myself. So. Um, and actually, on the pitch when you're playing, you know, um, Alex, some of your research is about sort of not being able to read facial expressions mm. enough. Like, do you find that sort of communication breaks down a bit because of that? Yeah, I suppose from my perspective, I think there's a clear difference for me when I'm energised and, you know, had a good night's sleep and when I haven't. So I think you know, that can definitely affect my training and you know, that's something I want to get away from. And when it comes to recovery, which is obviously a big part of what you guys do after a match, how, sort of, have you had pulled out any research, Tom, that shows how much that helps? I, I struggle to find too much on, you know, a, a well-controlled study on recovery from injury, but everything kind of points towards it allowing you to do more things that would happen within the recovery process. So even something as basic as reaction time, uh, a lot of sort of joint injuries are because we're not actually reacting, we're a little bit fatigued, we're not reacting, reacting to the stimulus as well as possible. So it makes sense, therefore, that if sleep's going to affect that even further negatively, you're never going to actually be able to train in a way to prevent that injury happening. Yeah. Um, so, you, so you're so you more prone to injury if you haven't had a good yeah, night's it's, sleep? It's, yeah, it's highly likely, even if it is just based off reaction time. Um, a lot of the studies I looked at were pure sleep deprivation, which isn't the model that these guys would fall into. It would be sort of like long-term undersleeping rather than like one night of, of, of no sleep. Um, and I think there's, you know, there is a bit more research on that coming out, but you don't want to sort of over-apply a research model that doesn't fit and sort of scaremonger the guys into it. But it's interesting you say about the, the, the mood side of it because there is a, like a lot of research around the sort of psychological aspects of recovery, how positive you are within it. If you're not getting enough sleep during that process, you know, you're going to be likely to be less motivated about yeah. the research. You're away from your sort of your team anyway, because you're having to do sort of separate training. If that's getting, um, you know, further sort of affected by this lack of sleep, you, you, your motivation's down, your sort of enjoyment of the process is down. It's just a terrible sort of place to be in for these guys. So everything kind of comes back to just, you know, get more sleep and you'll have a, a much better time with it. Um, Alex, have you suffered from any injuries and have you sort of found that sleep has helped you recover in any way? Uh, luckily, at Touchwood, I've not actually had too many injuries in the last few years. Um, I do know that getting sleep after training and after games is obviously hugely important for me. And I think it was last Auto Internationals, they brought in like an afternoon sleep protocol. Okay. So um, we do our training in the morning and then do some recovery. And then we'd have sort of a 45 minute window where they advise we get some sleep, um, so we go back to our rooms and get our heads down. And how many how many players do you think actually followed through with that? I reckon a lot of the lads were doing it. Yeah, oh, really? I, I, okay. I genuinely do. Yeah. I think to have that put into the schedule, I think, was refreshing for players. And because sometimes you feel like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be sleeping. You know, yeah. You feel like maybe you're cutting corners, or you should be doing other stuff. Like I don't know whether it's analysis or 
extra stretching or extra kicking or passing, whatever it might be. But to have that put in the schedule, yeah. it means that, you know, obviously they think it's important. So a lot, I think a lot of the boys are doing Other it. Other people then prioritise yeah. it. Um, Alex, from the sort of science side, how much does sleeping really affect sports performance? Are there sort of multiple things that it adds to? Yes, absolutely. Researchers have delved into not just the general health and social and emotional benefits of sleep, which apply to everyone, but also specifically performance related issues around sleep for athletes. So just to use a couple of examples here, both from the world of basketball, there was a Stanford basketball team study that looked at the team over several months as they increased sleep overnight. So uh, up to two hours of an increase in sleep. And as a result of that, players saw an average speed increase of 5% on the court. Accuracy of free throws went up by something like 9%. So there were definite measurable increases in performance having improved sleep quality. Another one which uh, took an interesting route because it didn't actually study the players directly but looked at their Twitter habits as a bit of a proxy for how they were doing sleep-wise – looked at uh, tweeting from NBA players over from 2009 to 2016. So anybody who tweeted with a timestamp between 11pm and 7am was considered to basically be tweeting when they should be sleeping. And then that player's performance was then tracked against their Twitter habits. And those habitual late night sleepers were found overall to score fewer points than their better slept equivalents and to have fewer rebounds, and to play for around two minutes less per game, which uh, you can you can draw various conclusions about kind of their performance on the court from that. Brilliant. Um, and you, you sort of mentioned travelling, Alex, um, when you go away on tour. How do you find jet lag impacts what you do? Like, I know that it puts me really out of sorts, and I can't imagine then doing something really physical on top of that. Yeah, jet lag is definitely something that comes into it, and um, I think maybe a way of dealing with it which probably isn't the right way of dealing it is like with sleeping pills and stuff yeah which, um have you have you have you tried any in particular yeah I've, I've had some i actually can't remember which ones i've taken to be honest with you but i just you know if i'm really struggling i'll go to the doctor and say look i'm i can't sleep because of the jet lag or whatever it might be and you know they do they're happy to help in that sense so i have taken them before to just try and get into the the right routine and sort of adjust to the time changes. Um, uh, Tom, what's your opinion on, on sleeping pills? I'm not a massive advocate of them. I think it's not really helping you get into actual sleep. It's um, sort it's of more, it's, Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a sedative rather than something that's actually going to give you the benefits of um, actual sleep and, yeah. and REM sleep and non-REM sleep. So just to interject there quickly for anyone listening who doesn't know what that means... Uh, in the early part of our sleep, our sleep cycles are more heavily weighted towards what's known as non-REM or deep sleep, which is um, sort of clearing out the, the, the stuff and the noise of the day. And then later on, the more heavily weighted towards REM sleep or rapid eye movement sleep, which is the point where you dream, where you remember your dreams, where you uh, start making connections, building memories and all that stuff that makes the reason it's called that is because you can see people's eyes moving while they sleep. Yeah, so we're quite fortunate in the, being like a, a domestic team. We don't have too many sort of travel demands, but we have played a few games in America where we have to factor that in. We've got a limited week out there to do our training, play the match, get home, and you've got another match weekend. You don't have sort of built-in time for recovery. Um, it's generally a little bit easier on the way out. Um, we just sort of extend how long they'd, they'd stay out. We take them out for a meal. And normally the guys sort of work through that. Uh, on the way back, it's a lot harder, and we will use... Um, melatonin yeah. uh, which i think is quite helpful for um 
sort of resetting the uh, the body clock, try and get them exposed to light at the right times, eat at the right times, and try and anchor that sort of body clock back rather than going down the the sleeping pill approach. But melatonin that is is that a sleeping would that be classed as a sleeping pill? I, I don't. I wouldn't class it as a sleeping pill. It's not a. I mean, it's a hormone. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's one of the key hormones that kind of impacts regulation of our our body clock, and we'd release it naturally as it gets darker outside and that would start to kind of peak through the evening so you'll find quite a lot of sleep experts kind of talk about actually taking melatonin if you're struggling to sleep in a kind of normal scenario may not be that helpful but when you're traveling it may actually help to just adjust to you're just getting different signals than you're used to and the light's longer than you expect or shorter than you expect and it could be useful in in those scenarios yeah. okay so melatonin is actually good in a in a jet lag scenario and something potentially that yeah <laughs> potentially potentially hopefully nudges you in the right direction it's not yeah. gonna you know send you to sleep yeah you know? I've, I've i've definitely used melatonin before when i've been jet lagged and i i definitely found it helpful so yeah and when it comes to jet lag alex have you got sort of any tips on on how to sort of get your body clock up to speed yeah so some of the advice out there kind of depends on the time and availability of, of your schedule because a lot of it is about sort of one hour at a time as you as you move in the weeks beforehand, starting to adjust to the new body clock, which sounds like a great idea. But of course, if you're busy with a normal schedule of work, whether that's a nine to five or training, it, it might be quite difficult to do that. But if you can adjust your sleep times the kind of week beforehand, it may help going into that scenario. And I think the bit that maybe gets um, not not forgotten, but just the, the other element to that is just also thinking about comfort, thinking about home comforts. When you're traveling, it's not just about the time difference, but the fact that you're sleeping in a strange place with different temperatures, different types of mattress, different pillows. And just kind of thinking about, is there something I can take with me or something I can arrange to set up there that will just help me feel more like it's bedtime now? Yeah. H- how do you find you sleep in hotel rooms? Are you OK sleeping there, Alex? Yeah, it depends on the bed, really, and the mattress. Um Sometimes we're lucky enough to have our own rooms. You know, Are you still like sharing then? Yeah, so a lot of time we're in twin rooms. So, yeah, depending on you know, how loud if my housemate is, yeah. my, uh, my roommate snoring, snoring yeah, yeah, yeah. that can be a problem sometimes. But no, I think it, for me it's actually just the size of the bed because obviously at home I'm used to having quite a big bed and then if you're putting a suddenly you're putting like a single bed, sometimes that does... Uh, mean that I'm not sleeping I love the well. vision of all these sort of massive rugby players just trying to get into their little yeah, twin beds well, together. to be fair, luckily for the bigger lads, you know, they get looked after a bit more than us. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, so we're the smaller, the smaller oh, players don't get looked God. after as much, so we're, <laughs> we're put in the single beds and, you know, I do find myself waking up in the night quite a lot just because I'm not used to being in that uh, bed that small, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's it's not it's not too much. I don't find it too much of a problem, and it's something that you just get used to and you just deal with. And you know, I definitely wouldn't say it's uh, an excuse or yeah. Like and, and Alex, there is some sort of science behind why people don't sleep as well in hotel rooms because there's a part of the brain that stays awake the whole time. Is that yeah, right? There, there's a bit of kind of alertness that keeps happening, almost like a sort of. Uh... It's almost like a watch signal going, something's a little bit different here, something I'm not used to. So, yeah, there, there is a kind of wired element that happens. And have you got any sort of tips or tricks that you use to help yourself sleep better sort of before a match? Yeah, it's, it does vary from match to match sometimes just because of whether it's like a big occasion or a huge game. Sometimes it is a bit more difficult to sleep in the morning or whatever. So I don't I, I just, like I said before, I just try and make sure I'm in bed at a good time, not on my phone, not playing on the xbox whatever before bed and not watching too much tv before i go to sleep so if i'm in bed by half nine ten that usually that usually sorts me out do you have a comfy mattress at home then yeah i do i've got a similar mattress um which i yeah uh so i've had that since january or february now and uh yeah it's great 
never had any, any problem sleeping on it and I think my sleep's improved and yeah it's definitely 10 times better than my old one which I think I'd had for five or six years and I think you need to change your match every I don't know what would you say on average every eight years but yeah. if it's uncomfortable whenever, yeah. whenever it's uncomfortable yeah. well, yeah. I'm, I'm glad I'm glad the mattress is working for no, you it's good it's very good Brilliant. Uh, and you mentioned technology there. I mean, we know that technology is a big distraction, but also it actually sort of stops the natural processes happening in our body. Yeah, so there's a couple of different issues happening there. There's One is exposure to light, and in particular blue light, which can affect melatonin production. And some of that you can start to kind of reduce by adding like night filter settings and things yeah. on, on phones and tablets. And then the other thing is kind of just getting a bit too wired so I mean ideally we'd say okay no screen time everybody turn everything off an hour before you go to bed but that's somewhat unrealistic so I think we've spoken with some experts who have sort of said you know what if you're listening to something that's kind of low cognitive impact or watching something that's like not too heavy so don't watch kind of massive thrillers or horror movies before you go to bed heart going but you know Love Island is fine Uh, you know just like Love Island just chill out to something that's not going to make you think too hard then you know better that than just sort of feeling wired and anxious because you've taken away your, your kind of favourite prop. So you just got to find a balance that, that feels reasonable and isn't kind of making you too anxious or, or exposing you to too much light. And Tom, if you get back some of the sleep data and mm-hmm. it shows that they're either going to bed quite late or they're having quite disruptive sleep throughout the night, what sort of advice do you give the players? It's, it's usually dependent on the, the conversation we have. Like we first try and figure out why, you know, why, what's the barrier to going to bed earlier or what are the likely causes of them getting up in the night and so again, trying to move away from this generic sort of advice and really sort of make them a part of the of the process. But it's drilled into the lads, you know, to make sure they're hydrated and that's very important for performance and injury reduction. But if they're continuing to hydrate throughout the evening, chances are they're getting up to go to the toilet in the in the night, and that's a, you know a real easy sort of one to prevent happening. Yeah, temperature is is a massive one. I think people want to feel comfortable when they go to sleep and. There's nothing more comfortable at the moment when it's getting colder to just sort of turn up the temperature a little bit so you're nice and cosy. But ultimately, again, that's not leading to to a great sleep. So there's sort of two quite common fixes. Uh, and then, you know, if we sort of ticked off the, the major ones and there's still problems there, we haven't really got there yet. But I guess you would sort of refer them to check if there is, a, you know, a proper sleep condition there, mm-hmm. uh, like a, a sleep apnea or something like that. We haven't got there yet. But if you rule out everything else, there, there might be something, you know, that isn't routine based, isn't habitual that is uh, preventing the sleep and then refer them to, you know, an expert. And if, if people did suffer from insomnia, what would be the sort of next processes in trying to cure that or change that? So that would always be, you'd, you'd want to start with medical experts. So you'd want to start with ruling out any physical or mental health conditions that were kind of leading up to that. So each one of those is going to be such a complex individual case that you'd want to seek expert advice. Brilliant. Okay, well, um, Alex, I just want to sort of finish by asking, like, what for you has been a massive thing that has changed the way you sleep? Is there, is there sort of one tip or something that you're like, that that really has made a difference? Yeah, I think the one for me was definitely, I mentioned it before, was the afternoon sleeping. As Tom said, we often train, don't finish training until three or four in the afternoon. So if I'm getting back to home at half four and then, you know, sleeping for an hour or two hours, you know, that ends up being a disaster later on in the night. So I've tried to cut that out, which definitely helped me. And as, a, as again, as I mentioned before, getting that sort of 45 minutes put in the schedule 
but earlier in the day, so maybe at like half 12, one o'clock, I think you said before, naps are better before two o'clock or something. So that's probably why it was at that yeah, time. Yeah. Um, just just doing that sort of stuff and just listening to the advice I've been getting. Are you, are you good at power napping then? I just find that I go into a really deep sleep and then even if it, if the alarm goes off, I, I struggle yeah, to get back up. I know, so I do have to just set an alarm and, and drag yourself yeah, just out get of up bed. Yeah, after that 45 minutes and do something else. I think I've seen benefits from it as well. Brilliant. Um, Tom, what would you love to see everyone in the team do? Is there one thing that you think would sort of cure the sleep problems? Um, switch the decaf after. <laughs> yeah. I think would be the main one. Um, you need to speak to your coffee man outside. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think it's just an understanding of the um, the benefits they'll get. It's, a lot of it sounds really restrictive. Like, don't be on your phone. Stay off the PlayStation. It sounds like we're, you know, we're taking away the fun things. But the understanding of how much better things will be when you are, you know, the other side of it, I think that's going to be the main thing that sort of drives a behaviour change and, you know, it just sort of destigmatizes sleep and just makes it, you know, an important part of, like, not just performance but of enjoying your life and stuff like that and everything else you fall into place, really. Have you got any policy on boozing and sleeping? I I just, uh, you know, <laughs> let them make mature <laughs> choices like the the adults they, they are. Um that's another one that people kind of go, oh, you know, I slept really well after a night out. But again, it's sort of a false sleep. It's generally pretty restless. So, um, you know, there's a time and a place and we, uh, you know, we don't shy away from that. But uh, again, just, you know, making adult choices on that. And Do you feel like then. you get a good night's sleep after you've been out um, and about on the town? Yeah, well, I'd definitely fall asleep. Quick, quicker. quicker, yeah. <laughs> um, I wouldn't know about the quality of it, as Tom says. Probably not the best. Probably but, um, a bit poor. You know, we, we are out occasionally, but it's at the right time. Most of the time we're just, uh, you know, focused on getting our training right and getting our games right. Brilliant. And Alex, I'd love to finish on a tip from you. What's your top tip for getting a good night's sleep, maybe specifically when it comes to sporting and recovery? Oh, goodness. I think to some extent, actually, we, we've kind of touched on it a bit earlier, which is maybe not, sounds weird, but not to worry about it too much. So so Tom mentioned not scaring people into it. I think if you focus on, on the outside, on the on the benefit, on feeling so much better in the there morning. There is actually a term for that, isn't there? When you sort of overthink is. it. What is it? I can't remember. Orthosomnia. When Orthosomnia. You, you basically uh, make yourself so anxious about the sleep that you need to be getting that you don't get any sleep because you're freaking out so kind of avoiding that and just thinking about you know this is comfortable tweaking the temperature getting a few of the basics right in the bedroom and then you can just relax hopefully and uh, wake up feeling kind of sunny and energetic well alex alex and tom multiple alexes today most confusing and thank you so much for joining us and thank you for all your tips and good luck when when's your next match alex I'm playing on saturday yeah are you going to sleep well beforehand yeah, I think I will. I think Good. I'll take on board what you've heard today and I'm sure I'll sleep very well. <laughs> All right, thanks so much, guys. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sleep Life. Make sure you subscribe and we'd also love it if you could rate or review this episode. Now, we talk a lot in this podcast about things you can do to change your day-to-day behaviour or sleep environment, all of which are really important. But one of the easiest things you can do is just making sure you're sleeping in a bedroom that's really set up to help you sleep better. And that's what Simba is all about. You can check out Simba's award-winning hybrid mattress at simbasleep.com, where you'll also be able to find the rest of Simba's range designed to solve common sleep problems. We'll also drop any offers in the show notes, so keep an eye out for that. 
We'll be back in two weeks' time, but watch out for a special bonus episode dropping next week, a sleep story written by Claire Storrow designed specifically to help you doze off. Until then, sweet dreams. 